welcome back to So What Does Judaism Say About? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me always is the superlative Rabbi Mayor Beer. Rabbi Beer, how are you doing today? Fantastic. So let me ask you a question. What does Judaism say about Torah study? Well, we say in the morning prayers that Torah study is keneged kulam, is the equivalent or equal to all of the rest of Judaism, the intellectual growth that a person attains and develops from Torah study is something which is equated to everything else in Judaism. Torah study is really important as part of any person's spiritual growth. So I think we would understand this pretty clearly when it comes to the ethical teachings of the Torah. You know, I think that's something that a lot of people enjoy in their initial exposure, the the ethical teachings, the the uh, relationship-building parts or, or areas of Torah study. The parts that just kind of like make your life better. It makes sense. There's something moral to it. I feel like a better person. That's, a, that's certainly an aspect of Torah study, but I'm sure there's there, – I know there's much, much more than that. We have an entire legal code in the Talmud. And although the legal code is of moral, you know, of moral of morality, it is what God says I should do in this particular situation. I don't necessarily feel that it's oh that makes my life better in that particular way. It's I have to do something. I've got to put my shoes on a certain way. I've got to eat a certain way. I've got to do a certain thing. I've got is this kosher? Is it not kosher? Those types of things. It's all all involved in Torah study to figure those things out. Yeah, and and I'll share with you a passage that I, I recently read in the Talmud. So this is from page uh, 89b in Tractate Bava Basra. The Talmud writes, has a discussion where they're talking about different ways where you, can unethic- where you can unethically tamper with weights, different techniques to make the weights lighter than they appear to be. describing ways to cheat people through your weights and measures in the marketplace. Correct. And the Talmud mentions, like, should we discuss this because we're going to give people... <laughs> ideas that they didn't necessarily have. It's a pretty thorough examination of the subject. This guy's an idiot. He will never figure out how to do this particular kind of grift. We will now display the magician's trick of how to grift properly. Maybe we shouldn't, lest lest they figure it out. (laughs) And the Talmud says, yeah, at the end of the day, they have to know that us as the scholars, as the judges, know know the games just as well as anybody else does. Or Or better. Or better. So they display the grifting techniques... In the circuses, in the, in the, in the, you know, you're never going to pop that balloon. You're never going <laughs> to, they know all the tricks. Knock the bottle over. You know, but there's a little pin on the bottom holding it in place right, or whatever exactly, it is. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, but, you know, on, on a, like a larger scale, there is so much in the Talmud that is just discussions of legalistic ideas of, of really just fine tuning laws. So, you know, there certainly has a practical angle to it. But let's say, you know, you're not going to become a religious judge. And that's a position which exists. No plans as of now. Would you like to casually study these areas of the Talmud? As one is wont to do. Yeah, and they're super interesting and they're super intriguing. But at the end of the day, one could make an argument, which is incorrect, that they're less significant than the more overtly moral parts ah, of the Torah. Ah, so that, that, that is a huge statement, Right. The the more over, uh, esoteric for the layman subjects are not any less important to that person than the moral 
the more appro- approachable, accessible moral aspects. And, and, and esoteric doesn't necessarily just mean philosophically esoteric. It could mean practically. Laws like, of the temple, sacrifices. We have that. And, and you know, there's just, once again, these ideas of how to cheat at wet measures and weights. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's really <laughs> interesting and it's fascinating to read. But, like, is this a, is this a moral exercise? Is this in, a spiritual impra- exercise? Impractical, maybe, are the subjects. They're, they're, right. they're not it's simply understanding the wisdom of the Torah something that is directly beneficial to my spirituality. Oh, that's a beautiful question. Say because that, that's what say, it is. It's, it's like again. I, I like the way you said that. It's wisdom for wisdom's sake. Is understanding wow. the wisdom of the Torah going to make me a better person when I'm not directly learning ethical teachings, or at least seemingly ethical teachings? Can that be said for subjects outside the Torah, learning for learning's sake, or is this only applied to Torah itself? And, and therefore, what is Torah? How, what, what falls into Torah? What are the categories? How does this work? Is it a spiritual concept? Right. So once again, we mentioned this source that we read in the in the in the beginning of the prayers that Talmud Torah connected kulam. Torah is equated with all with you know, all the mitzvos. It's equal to everything else. It's it so has important. the same weight, so to speak, as everything put together. And then, so then the question begs: Like I, I'm reading something which is very clever and very brilliant, but what of it? Like, how does that benefit me just for being chachma, just for being wisdom? So. What we do have is, this is an idea from the Sefer Har-Ikrim. This is a book written by Rav Yosef Albo, who lived from the late 1300s to the mid-1400s. It's a book of Jewish philosophy. And he writes that one, one understands the depth of a matter. So, you know, you can simply say, I'm going to be honest and not cheat, and I'm going to ask somebody who's knowledgeable all the rules of, of you know, ethical business practices. But when you understand something, you have a certain depth to it, you appreciate it more. You don't just give charity, but you study it and you understand the parameters of charity. You end up having a new depth to your practice. So the most basic benefit is when you understand the, you know, the guidelines for everything, you understand the structure of Torah law, your appreciation for it is far better. So even if theoretically you can have somebody look over your shoulder and tell you what to do and what not to do, when you can internalize ideas and you can understand ideas, your practice of those ideas We'll have, we'll have a far greater depth. On its very basic level, this is going to add a, a certain dimension to everything that people do. So when you understand the wisdom behind the Torah's financial guidelines, the financial rules of the Torah, and you understand, you put all those pieces together and you start seeing a whole system in place of what is ethical, what's not ethical, you have a new appreciation for business ethics. Oh, for sure. And, and, and it's so far-reaching and you know we, we think about theft or whatever it is or morals or ethics on a very basic level, but it, it obviously is is infinite in terms of how intri- intricate it can get and the subtleties. Uh, I myself in the morning am learning about the laws of a sukkah. Right? My learning partner are hours and hours learning about the laws of a sukkah. I have a sukkah. It's in my garage. It's going to go up wall, 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 and we're going to throw what's called the schach, the covering, the bamboo covering on top. N- not once in the building of my sukkah or any of the questions I'm discussing are going to come up. They're just not going to come up. But my love of this mitzvah, how excited I am to get involved and for this holiday to come around after Yom Kippur this year, I, I, I've never been more excited. You know, and nothing that I'm learning is changing like how I'm approaching the building of my sukkah or, or, or even like what's going on. But it has gotten me so invested in this subject. I'm loving it. So uh, maybe I'll give an analogy for your point. Uh, you have a person who has a nice car. You know, smooth, well-built car. If you're a mechanic and you appreciate all the engineering that went into that car, 
and what makes it a smooth car, you might have a great appreciation for driving that car, even though you drove the car before you understood all the mechanical details of it. Yeah, that's am- you've mentioned before, and I thought it was amazing. You said that the the quality is in the details. You know, you said a Rolex from thirty feet away and a fake Rolex from thirty feet away are the same thing, but where you get to the appreciation of what's really going on, the quality of it is only going to be appreciated in those fine details. That's what makes it what it is. Right. And the safe Ikram writes that practicing something perfectly. Just because somebody tells you what to do and understanding why you're practicing it and how to practice it and the methodology behind that and everything adds a dimension which goes far beyond just simply doing it and it adds a whole new level to it. And what about in areas that just aren't practical for your daily life? How, do those, how does that work? So to a certain extent, there is, let's say you, law, you, learn those, you study the laws of the temple rituals, which we don't have a temple. We don't practice those rituals. So you can appreciate the themes, you can appreciate the concepts, which can carry over into your day-to-day. But beyond that, there's a larger point also, and that is the actual wisdom of the Torah affects a person directly. Mm. And we'll talk about this uh, for several different, and make several different points about this. Number one, there is a statement the rabbis teach that a person should, should a, a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, should know the 24 books of the written Torah, the prophets, the writings, and the five books of Moses, like a princess has 24 jewels, 24 types of jewelry. I don't know what exactly these 24 types of jewelry are, but in any case, the analogy is that a Torah scholar should have this background in the stories of the Torah, should, should, have, a, uh, should have a connection to the stories of the Torah, the history of the Torah that is found in the prophets that's found in the five books of Moshe, similar to a princess has these 24 types of jewelry. So what, what, is, what is that analogy? It's interesting. So there's an explanation that the Nitziv of Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin gives, which is that a person who is a scholar, who understands the logic, the methodology, the wisdom of the Torah, has a background on that, who then approaches the ethical teachings or the stories of the Torah, will be able to explain those with the subtleties that they demand. And the analogy is if you have a regular woman walking down the street with too much jewelry, or a regular man you know, walking down a, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a basketball court wearing a three-piece suit and he's overdressed, he looks strange. But if you have a person who's in a position to do that and then puts on those fancy clothes, those highfalutin ethical teachings, that person is in a place to give the subtleties and put them in in context that they deserve. So if you have a scholar, you have a person who's adept at the wisdom of the Torah, who then offers explanations for the teachings of the Torah. They come out with the, you know, the refinements that they need. So that wisdom directly connects to how you can interpret the ethical teachings of the Torah as well. Oh wow! Like the, it's like like the novelty of how Hirsch approaches explaining the Torah directly is connected to how much work he's done in that in that intellectual Talmudic exercise of learning Torah and refining his knowledge and sharpening his wisdom, he, that will then enable him to analyze, in this case, anything. But in this case, the Torah specifically, he'll be able to have such a refinement and beauty to them. It's interesting you mentioned jewels. Jewels also, they have a value to them. It's almost like they become, she's adorned in those, you know, it's almost like those are the, those are the crowns also of the, of the Torah scholar. Exactly. And, and they're at a place if you're walking around with jeans and a t-shirt and you're wearing like, you know, $800,000 worth of jewelry. It's just like... And then it, it looks like a music video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Okay, nothing against music videos, but I, I get your point. I get your point. So you have this benefit that your your way of analyzing the ethical teachings of the Torah is richer and greater. Point number one. Okay, I'll, I'll share another point with you. There is a, a Medrash which writes uh, a, a really striking expression. The Medrash writes uh, the story that the Torah when the Torah when the Torah relates the story of how uh, Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to go get a wife for his son Yitzchak. The Torah repeats itself several times. There's a, a very lengthy sharing of the story. And there are certain technical laws of the Torah which are written in the most briefest of, of hints. So the Medrash comments on this, Yavasi chasan shel avdei bateavos, greater is the casual talk of the servants or the workers of the household of the forefathers, mitarasan shel banim, from the Torah of the children. And there's a, a very appropriate explanation I think to our discussion from Rav Aaron Cutler, who was the founder of the Lakewood Yeshiva, which I attended. This is one of the premier... Your alma mater. My alma mater. You know, some would say the premier, certainly the largest American yeshiva. One of the basic building blocks for American Torah study in rebuilt, this country. Rebuilt after the after war. After World War II. In, in a, in, in a, there was nothing there. Nothing there. Starting from scratch. And it's about an hour and 20 minutes from Philadelphia. And there's... An enrollment of over 7,000 full-time students. And when you go there, it's, it's like a college town. It's like being in Ann Arbor, but instead of go blue, it's like go Torah. And go black and white. Yeah, go black and white. Go black and white. And, you, and it's, it has that aura of, a, of like a college town, yeah. but it's all surrounding with what's going on at the yeshiva. It's really an amazing place to see at some point. Everyone should see it at some point. It's pretty, pretty special. Great place to go. So he writes that when you have technical halacha, you know, it's, there's an answer. There's you do this, you don't do that. You know, you observe the Shabbos on the seventh day of the week, on Saturday, not on Thursday. Right. There's a day you do it and a day you don't do it. Right. In regards to ethical and moral teachings, there is a subtlety which is has to be applied to each individual case. And every experience can have another lesson or another way of ang- another angle of approaching it. So when we when we view the happenings of great people, the role models that the Torah shares with us, we have to view them with more, you know, we need more details about what happened. It's not a yes or no question. A practical behavior, you know, you can talk about morals in a, in, in a laboratory, but once you get into the real world, there's always gray, there's always shades and subtleties that have to be accounted for. So the wisdom of the Torah scholar is a person who can correctly interpret this. I'll share with you a story. The dean of the Philadelphia Yeshiva, former dean, he's since passed away, Rev. Elio Sve, said that when he was 13 years old, he was in Williamsburg. He had come to the United States two or three years before. And he went to hear a public speech from Rav Elchanan Wasserman. Elchanan Wasserman was one of the leading uh, yeshiva deans in Europe and had, was in the United States for a trip and was on a bit of a speaking tour. Story for more detail for another time. He actually knew of the dangers in Europe and it was pretty clear that Europe was, was a, just a, a storm waiting to happen. And he went back because he refused to leave his students. So this is in late 1938. In any case, he's speaking in Williamsburg, and Revelius Faye said, you know, he was 13 years old, went to listen to the speech. He's like, I don't remember much of the speech, but one point I remember very clearly. He said, Vachanan Wasserman said, he opened the Chumash, he opened up a, a Torah, a book of the Torah, and said, if you have any question on life, you can find the answer to how to approach that issue by studying the Torah, by going through the stories of the Torah. If you're trained properly in how to read and interpret the Torah, you can find the wisdom to how to go about 
to behavior in any given situation from studying the Torah properly. So he then said that the job of a, of a, of a Torah teacher is to some extent build those skills. Make those connections, connect those dots. Sure. So the same way a person's interpretation of the, as we shared this, this idea from the Natsiv of understanding deep and beautiful ideas comes from his Talmudic knowledge, his Talmudic wisdom, but also the practical ability to apply the Torah to your daily life is going to come from the wisdom that you accumulate, the sharpening of your mind that happens from Torah study. And, and, and beautiful, and even from the things that aren't necessarily applicable to you right now. You'll see the Talmud also sometimes make a comparison of two subjects that are like completely unrelated. And I'll find in my own life that, that I feel so sharp. I feel so able to go into a business situation, let's say, after I've learned e- e- even something that has nothing to do with business. Just the sharpening and the excitement and bringing in the perspective just does something magical for you in that moment, for sure. And I'll share a story with you. I'm sure you'll have stories of your own. Uh, of So, for instance, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. And he was very close with Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. He was one of the great Torah sages in the United States in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He said whenever he discussed a business matter with him, you know, he'd seek his advice. He'd he'd have a few options. He'd always come up with a, with another option that he didn't even think of. And he wasn't a businessman. He said he was so sharp and so down to earth, so savvy. You know, this is wisdom that he'd accumulated from his Torah study. He was a you know world class Torah scholar, one of the greatest in the world. That like he could apply this to business and come up with things that an experienced entrepreneur wouldn't necessarily think of. Right. You know, and you know, you have you you've studied under great Torah scholars, and I'm sure you've you found this to be true as well. Absolutely, I, I, I mean, the hardest questions, you know, and, and and it's real stuff. It's it's either real money or it's or it's someone's life, or a relationship, and it's real. And these are not psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, businessmen, moguls. They're they're scholars. They're sages. And the wisdom certainly permeates every thread of their clothes, every every manner that they have, and they offer their advice in, in such a, a, a way. Uh, it, it 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 always helps to clear things up, make a make a straight path through. It's amazing. So when we learn, are we are we attempting to make that on our own? Are we, t- are, we are we building those blocks for ourselves? Because we're talking now about approaching Torah scholars, but just getting back to we are studying the Torah ourselves. Are we sharpening those tools, those blades? Yeah, I I, I would say that's pr- precisely one of the primary benefits of starting Torah. So even if you're not studying moral and ethical teachings, you're involved in this divine wisdom, which will sharpen your mind, which will create this ability to analyze things better. And hopefully you'll apply that to your ethical life and find that you have the ability to make better decisions and greater insights. So I'll share one more idea along these lines. This is an idea from the Vilna Gon. Vilna Gon writes that people sometimes in their spiritual journey have a tendency to jump too fast. And go too high. Ah, the old high fast jumpers. Yeah, high fast jumpers. <laughs> the long leapers. <laughs> he said, when a person's spiritual growth has that Torah study element, that wisdom in it, he then can know when not to jump too fast, not to jump too high. He understands his environment. He understands himself, hopefully, to the point where he's not making decisions that won't have long-term positive ramifications. So yeah, this is exactly your point. Of it's not just the scholars that necessarily have that ability, but we can try to all sharpen our own tools. And you know, this is this is a a danger which you've seen, I'm sure, as you've counseled, you know, numerous students. You know, they want to do something they're not ready to do. They're they're going they're going places they're not ready. They're they're not comfortable. They don't realize they're not going to be comfortable with what they're trying to accept upon themselves, and it, it just doesn't have great long term results. So that balance in life is achieved through. 
delving into the wisdom of the Torah. That's a, that's a beautiful insight. It's a separate benefit, a- acquiring that balance, that confidence to know when to jump, when to swim, when to walk. The Vilna Gon is telling us that the Torah study is what's going to keep us even keeled throughout our journey, which will, by the way, have ups and downs, big time. Right? Sure. Absolutely. But being able to get the right perspective on things or a better perspective on things is super important. I'll end off with you know one, one last part that he says. There's a verse in Kohelas. Would you like to do the English of Kohelas? <laughs> I don't even know. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I think I'll just quote the birds. You know, to everything there is a season. Did I do it? You know, this is written by King Solomon. King Solomon, yeah. So King Solomon says, Altihit Sadak Harbe, do not be very righteous. Val Harbe, do not be very wicked. <laughs> Only a little bit wicked, a little bit righteous. What a statement. <laughs> so the Villanagon says what this means is a person has to have a certain normal sense of balance in his life. How do you achieve that balance of not getting to extreme piousness or quote-unquote extreme wickedness is with Torah study. Keeping the 80-20 zone. 80-20. Best beef to fat ratio for burgers. Yes. I think that's where they got I think that's where the, that's where the Torah scholars got it from, the oh. beef to fat ratio. <laughs> Well, it was a fascinating conversation on Torah study, one of the most important things we have as Jews. Thank you again, Rabbi Beer, and thank you for tuning in to our episode of So, What Does Judaism Say About? Until next time. 